There we go. We're on. Good. Well, I am really excited to be speaking uh, today because it's something I really enjoy and it's something that I feel like God has called me to do. Um, so it's always a privilege to be able to stand here. Um, previously, where Pastor Corey would preach every week and now presently where Pastor Gary preaches every week. So I don't take it lightly. It's something I take seriously. And um, I hope that God is going to speak to you through what I have to say to you today because it's something that I've been uh, working through in the past few months. And honestly, when you're in seminary, for those of you that don't know, I'm in seminary and seminary, not cemetery. <laughs> seminary, seminary is where you go if you're training to be a pastor. And so I'm there working on my Master's of Divinity. And um, so, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's great. And a lot of times you have all these ideas in your head because you're constantly, you know, you're reading scripture and you're reading all these books. So, you know, you have an opportunity to preach and you have like five different things you want to say. Um, so today I had like three different scriptures that I felt like God laid on my heart to uh, three different sections to speak to you. And I couldn't decide, so we're going to try to do all three of them. All right. Uh, we'll go try to get this uh, get this done. All right. But I'm really excited. If you saw in your bulletin and what we read this morning, we were in Psalm 77. That's where we'll be mainly, but we'll also be bouncing around a little bit. That's okay. Um, so I want to talk about faith today. Faith. Um, I was trying to think of something that could be a one-time sermon since we're not doing a series. And I was like, you know, I think it would be good to speak to you about faith. Because Christianity is a religion based on faith, right? But it's not really a religion. It's a relationship with Christ that you enter into. But its basis is faith. And I was, I was thinking, I was just trying to think of a way to introduce this. And something that regardless of if you believe in God or not, you all have faith. We all have faith. I mean, I was driving over here this morning, and those double yellow lines that keeps us between cars coming this way and that way, I mean, we're putting a lot of faith in two lines of paint that that car coming towards me is not going to hit me, right? I mean, that's, that's a lot of faith. And then if you have a teenager, right? Come on. I mean, you're putting a lot of faith in your teenage son or daughter that they're not going to you know, wreck their car, right? Uh, and then when I was, I've flown a few times this year, and I've flown like three times in my whole life, and two of those times have been this year. And when you get on a plane, I mean, think about it. If you've ever flown, you're putting your faith in this pilot to not crash this plane, and that he knows what he's doing, right? You're putting a lot of faith in that. And I'm, I'm not trying to push any buttons here. Johnny has been trying to get me to go hunting, and I'm determined I'm going to do it this year. I've never been hunting. Um, but come on. I mean, you're in the woods with a gun. <laughs> you know there's not somebody chasing the deer the other way and they're going to shoot you. You know, I don't know. I don't, I'm just saying, you're putting a lot of faith. You're putting a lot of faith in honey. And then, I, we, we bring food for the youth. Um, they act like y'all don't feed them. I don't know what's going on because they eat. Especially uh, Parker and Jesse. But, um, so I was just thinking, think about the amount of faith you put in this food. I mean, do you ever read the ingredients? Come on, I mean, these are, these are donuts. And I feel kind of bad I'm reading this and I just gave these to your children. But let me, let me, uh, let me find a couple. Uh, leavening. Uh, acid pyrophosphate. Baking soda. There's baking soda in here. Uh, sodium aluminum phosphate. Preservatives. I've heard that's not good. Uh, sodium propionate. Calcium propionate. If you can't pronounce it, it's probably not good for you. But we put our faith, we put our faith in these things that they're... They're good for us, right? And there was, there was a really funny word on this right here, this bread. Starch modified. Something's modified. That, that can't be good, right? Sodium aluminum. Alum- you're eating metal, right? I mean, what is going on here? So we put our faith. We put our faith in so many things. 
But you know what's funny is we put our faith in so many other things before we ever put our faith in God, right? We so often have a greater faith in what is in the ingredients of this food than we have in God. It's something that I read about, I don't know, two years ago. Really floored me, and it's in Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 7. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'm going to turn there and read something to you because I don't know if you've ever known this or ever read this, but God is amazed by my faith, and He is amazed by your faith. He really is. He's amazed by the faith we have. Jesus interacted with a group of people and then an individual in Mark chapter 6 and Luke chapter 7. And this is where we're going to start today because we're going to talk about faith. And first, I want you to know that God is amazed by your faith. Let's look at what Jesus said in uh, Mark chapter 6. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And then listen to this. Jesus said to them, Only in his hometown among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And then in Luke chapter 7... This is really great. Luke chapter 7. I was just reading through the Gospels. This might have been a couple summers ago. And I was just trying to read through them all and see what was there. And I'd, I'd never seen that Jesus was amazed by our faith. Luke chapter 7. When Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom the master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with Him. This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come. And he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And what happens next? Verse 8, when Jesus, verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So my question to you and my question to myself that I have to ask myself is, what group of people am I in, right? What group of people would you consider yourself in? Are you a, Jesus, just say the word and I'm going to believe it type of person? So Jesus might say to you, you have great faith and he'd be amazed at your great faith. Or are you like the majority? Because I think we can take from these two stories that it was rare for someone to have such great faith and it's a group of people in Mark chapter 6 that has such weak faith. So are you one that has weak faith and you're questioning Jesus and not liking what he is doing. But make no mistake about it, Jesus is amazed by your faith. Maybe it's your lack of faith. I pray and I hope it's your great faith. But God is amazed by your faith. So what is great faith, right? If God is amazed by our faith, whether it's our lack of faith or our great faith, what does great faith look like? 
I spent maybe 10 or 15 minutes working on putting together a few things that I thought were great faith. And I want to say, first of all, what great faith is not, based on Mark 6 and Luke chapter 7. So try to track with me here. First of all, great faith is not just saying you believe something and sitting still. Great faith is not complaining to Jesus for Him not doing or being what you think He should be. Great faith is not questioning why things happen and letting those experiences shape who God is to you. Great faith is not saying you believe one thing and living a life completely contrary to what you say you believe. That's what great faith is not, right? That would be weak faith, a lack of faith. But Jesus is still amazed by that. But in Luke chapter 7, we see that great faith is being compelled to act on what you believe enough to actually act on it. Not perfectly, not each and every time. But if James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead, not because your works save you, not because what you do, Jesus is going to love you more, but because by what you do, it shows what you really believe. What you do shows how great your faith really is. So what is great faith? Great faith is being compelled to act on what you believe and actually acting on it. Great faith is trusting, for example, God enough with your finances to continue giving to the church even when you've lost your job and you don't know how you're going to put food on the table. Great faith is maybe continuing to pray for your friend, your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, your mom or dad to be saved even when you don't see how it's possible. Great faith is trusting in the goodness and the greatness of God and trusting in His Word and believing that what God says is a good thing and I'm going to follow that even when everyone else around me is not. Great faith is actually opening God's Word and praying to God and recognizing that if He has given us something to recognize and to communicate with Him through, that we should do that because that's a good thing. And actually doing that, right? Great faith is sharing Christ with others because your life has been so radically changed by Jesus that you can't help but tell other people about Him. Great faith is maybe showing up here on Sunday morning when you've had a terrible week. Things have not gone your way, but you show up because you say, you know what, I believe that there's a God and if there's any way that I can get through next week, I've got to show up and hear a word that can encourage me. And then in Luke 7, great faith is a centurion, a soldier, someone who wasn't even expected to believe, saying, Jesus, you just say the word and I'll believe that you can heal my servant. So that's what great faith is, right? We all, have great, we all have faith in common. Jesus is amazed by your lack of faith or your greatness of your faith. We see what great faith is. So the question is, how can we get to a point where we have great faith? And before we even go there, maybe we need to say why great faith is important. I have a presupposition that a lot of you here today want to have great faith because you see the value of that. But maybe you're here today and you're like, yeah, I don't really care. I don't know if I really need to have great faith. I don't know if it matters. But you and I were created to be in a relationship with God. And you and I were created to give glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So then, weak faith does not accomplish the purpose for which you were created. Only a great faith does, right? So how can we get to the place where we have great faith? Or how can we get to the place where our faith brings glory to God? If you notice on your bulletin, the title of today's message is Taking a Lesson from a Hurricane. Um, If this does not work, if this analogy does not work, my whole sermon falls flat. So, 
Just nod and help me out here, all right? I ran this by Rachel, and she said it made perfect sense, and it really drove home what I'm trying to drive home, so I'm praying to God that it really does. Here's what I was doing Thursday night. I was trying to decide what I was going to preach to you all about and what I felt like God was laying on my heart. And I had these three scriptures. I'm like, man, how can they come together? How can I speak to these people and grow their faith and encourage them? Because that's what I feel like is a job of the person standing up here. And I'm a weather junkie. I, uh, I love weather. If I wasn't up here, I'd probably be watching the Weather Channel, tracking this hurricane. I, just, I don't know why, but I've always been fascinated by weather. It blows my mind that things can happen in the atmosphere and in the sky and that we have tornadoes and we have hurricanes and it can snow, it can hail, it can rain, it can do all these things. It just blows my mind, right? And so I'm watching the Weather Channel like I do a lot of days. I sit there and I know a lot of the anchors' names. And I mean, I'm telling you, I'm a nerd when it comes to weather. And I'm, uh, so I'm watching the weather and it, it, something shocked me. They brought on this expert. They always bring on experts, right? Everybody's an expert. And so they bring on this expert, and they're telling how they're tracking the hurricane. And this hurricane, if you've been keeping up with it, I mean, it is historic. It is, it is doing things that they've not ever seen another hurricane do. It's crazy. And this person comes on the Weather Channel, and they say, yeah, well, how do we track this hurricane? Well, what we do is there are 92 different locations across the United States and in the Atlantic, the Gulf, the Pacific, and we put those weather balloons up in the air once a day, 92 different places. And what these 92 different weather balloons do is they take readings of the atmosphere, of the things that will influence the direction, the strength, and everything that the hurricane will do. And so I'm sitting there, and maybe you're not getting where I'm going, and that's okay, hopefully you will in a second. I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, you've got to be kidding me. I've been watching the Weather Channel for a long time, and I constantly have these aha moments where I'm just astonished by weather. But great hurricanes are just like great faith. If we want to know how we can have great faith, it's going to help us if we can understand what a great hurricane is and how it develops. Because a great hurricane does not get strong and does not determine where it wants to go. It has no power in and of itself. A great hurricane can only grow, can only go in the direction that the elements around it allow it to and steer it to do so. So right now there's a high pressure system up in the northern Arctic and it's determining that the hurricane is going to come north and then there's a a cold front coming from the west and it's determining that the hurricane is going to go a little out to sea but then it's going to come back and hit the eastern United States because there's a low pressure system coming up from the Gulf and so you have all these little factors that is coming in and is steering the hurricane and is determining how strong it's going to be. But the hurricane in and of itself does not determine how strong it's going to be. It is dependent upon the factors outside of itself to grow and to steer. In the same way, your faith and my faith is not going to be great by us trying harder to believe and trying harder to have great faith. There are elements outside of our faith that if we will develop, it will then grow our faith. Because growing up, I thought, man, I just got to believe harder and try harder and just have more faith. But if you keep trying to do that and you do it long enough, you realize that it just doesn't work. So we want to take a lesson from a hurricane, as I said, because if we will figure out what maybe these elements outside of our faith are that can grow our faith and impute us to having a great faith, maybe we will have that great faith that will honor God and will help us live the life that God's called us to. So then, what are those 
elements, what are those things that can lead us to have great faith? I believe there are three based on Psalm 77. And we're going to look at those now. Great faith is not something that can be worked for. Great faith is a byproduct. Great faith is a byproduct. And according to Psalm 77, it's a byproduct of three things. Number one, great faith is unleashed when we choose not to allow our situation to determine our reality. Let me say it again. Great faith is unleashed when you and I choose not to allow our situation to determine our reality. I'm going to start reading Psalm 77 again. I'm going to read through this and show you what this guy named Asaph decided he was going to do. He decided that he was not going to let his situation determine his reality. And if you decide that you're not going to let your situations that you face determine your reality, then you will move forward into having the great faith that God calls us all to have. Psalm 77, Asaph writes, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. So Asaph is going through something right here that is not a good thing. He's struggling. He doesn't know what to do, and he only knows that he should turn to God. So maybe you've gone through something recently, a death in the family, a diagnosis that was not good. And Asaph says, I'm going to turn to the Lord. But then in verse 3 it says, When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit thinks. So from verse 2 to 3, something happened where he said, Okay, I need to turn to God. But now he's like, You know what? When I think about God, I just moan. Surely He doesn't care about me. Surely He's not going to do anything in my situation that is going to sustain my faith. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. So not only has he this situation that's hurting his faith, but then he's pointing fingers at God and he's like, God, you're holding my eyelids open so I can continue to see what's going on around me and it's destroying my faith. And it's, it's you that is causing this. He's pointing the finger at God. And then in verse 5 he says, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. You know what kills faith oftentimes? What hurts your faith, what hurts my faith is when we allow our situations that happen all around us to determine the reality. To determine the truth of who God is and what God wants to do in my life and in your life. And what we often do is we become self-centered and we become, why me? And we become, this is awful. I can't do anything. I, I, me, me. And what God is wanting to say to you and wanting to say to me, is when we face those situations in life where it seems like there is no hope, when we face those situations in life where we know we should follow what God's Word says, but everyone else around us is doing something different, He's saying, turn from yourself and what you think you should do and turn to me, and great faith will be unleashed. And in verse 7, not only has He turned in on Himself, and what happens when we turn in on ourselves, we get these distorted views of who God is. Look at what happens in verse 7. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has His steadfast love forever ceased? Are His promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? 
See, what happens when we allow our situations to determine our reality is we start looking in on ourselves and then we start projecting on God false things about Him. Asaph is saying, will the Lord spurn for... Has He forgotten to be favorable? Has He forgotten what it means to be loving towards me? And you and I have a decision to make each and every day. Are we going to allow our situations to determine the reality of who God is and what He's done in the past and what He wants to do in our lives? Or are we going to make the transition that Asaph made from verse 9 to verse 10? Because from verse 9 to verse 10, something amazing happens. It's almost as if he slaps himself and says, you know, I'm not going to believe that God has forgotten to love me. I'm not going to believe that God has forgotten to be good, that God no longer shows compassion. I'm going to choose to not allow my situations around me to determine the reality of who God is. And look at what happens in verse 10. He says, I will appeal to this for the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like our great God? And so he gets to the point where he says, you know, I'm no longer going to allow my situation to determine my reality because the reality is what God has done in the past, He promises to do in the future, and so then you can be sure He wants to do it in your present. And who God is does not change, see? And I think so many of us live our lives one situation to one situation, to one situation. And we never make it to verse 10 because we're so stuck at verse 9, allowing our situation to determine the reality. And God just wants to say, stop allowing what's going on around you to determine who I am. Because He's big enough and He's good enough to absolutely show Himself to you. So number one, great faith is unleashed when you choose not to allow your situation to determine your reality. And number two, great faith is grown by being with and knowing God. Great faith is grown by being with and knowing God. These 20 verses of this Psalm 77 presuppose again that Asaph has a relationship with God, that he knows God and he has been with God. How can he recall who God is and what God has done if he doesn't know God? See, I think a lot of us have a memory problem to where we don't, we don't remember what God has said in His Word. We don't remember who He is. We come to a situation in life where either something bad has happened and we doubt God's goodness or we have something around us where everyone else is doing something contrary to what we believe God's Word says and we can't recall who it is God is or what He has said to be in that moment. Or maybe you just don't know God. But see, Asaph was able to recall who God was. And he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. He says, your way, O God, is holy. Your way, O God, is great. He says, God, you're great, you're good, you're holy. I remember who you are. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Acts 4.13. And it's it's this quick verse that I think is so often overlooked. And it's uh, Peter and John are in this area and they're preaching about Jesus. And these people are around them, and they take note, and they say, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they were astonished, because these were just ordinary, uneducated men. And they took note, 
that they had been with Jesus. See, the key to you having great faith is not trying harder to have great faith. The key to having great faith is by being with and knowing who God is. I look back on my life and I see that from middle school to high through high school when I just I did not grow in my faith and I didn't show like I had great faith. And I kept asking myself and I look back and I'm like, man, was I just not saved back then? Was I just not, I mean, what, did, did I just not believe enough? Did I just not have great enough faith? But the truth is, I didn't know who God was to the degree that knowing Him would increase my faith and build me up to have great faith. Not for me, not for my fame, but to make much of Jesus. And the truth is, until you know who God is, and if you're not being with God, you will never have the great faith that God calls us to have, and you will be like the people in Mark chapter 6, where they're just standing around, they're saying, Jesus, I don't like what you're doing here. I don't believe you're doing it right here. Because they've just not been with Him. They just don't know Him. So what does it mean to know God? What does it mean to be with God? What does that look like? I think it goes back to the truth that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, right? A relationship where we are being with God and knowing God and being known by God. I mean, do you know who God is? When you're in a situation and things around you are not going good, are you able to say, no, 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 God, this doesn't determine who you are because you have declared that you are good. What, who is God to you? Do you believe that God is holy? Have you understood and experienced the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the greatness of God, the wisdom of God, the love of God, the grace of God, the truth of God, the life that is found in Him? Knowing God is the basis for great faith. And of all the other in- ingredients that I'm using the analogy between the hurricane that lead you to having great faith, if you do not have this one, if you do not have a relationship with God, if you do not know who God is, you will never have a great faith. Because knowing who God is and being with God is what leads to a great faith. It's how great faith is grown. So do you know that God? Do you know Him? And then how can you get to know Him? I was just talking to the youth, I don't know, what was it, 45 minutes ago. And we were sitting around and I just, I just held up the Bible and I was like, you know, this, this Bible, right, this, this has been given to us for a reason. Not just so we can know certain facts, but God gave us this Word so we could know Him. So we could have a relationship with Him. And when you don't open your Bible and you don't read it, it's not that God's going to love you any less or that He's going to be upset with you. As much as it is you're saying, God, I just don't really care to get to know you. Because He wants you to get to know Him. He's given us His Word to encounter Him and get to know Him. And then He has given us prayers of direct access to Him. And I'm ashamed of my own life when I look and I see I'm in seminary, right? I'm training to be a pastor. And I look back over the past few months and there there are patterns of days where I've not been with God. I have not been with God in His Word and I've not been praying to God and I've not been reminding myself of who He is. And it's funny how 
I look at those times and I realize those are the times where my faith was the weakest. Those are the times when I was not having great faith in God and making great risks for God and going and doing the things that would be representative of someone who had that great faith. So here's my challenge to you. I don't know how much time you waste during the day, but I watch a lot of Weather Channel, right? I watch sports. What would happen if you would commit to five out of seven days a week, spending 15 minutes a day in your Bible and in prayer with God? I guarantee you, your life would be changed and you would start having the great faith that God calls us to have. Number three, great faith is encouraged encouraged by the faith example of others. Great faith is encouraged by the faith example of others. If you notice when we were reading through Psalm 77 earlier, and then I've read through it again, in verse 15 and verse 20, as Asaph is recalling who God is, he lists certain individuals, right? Look at verse 15, he says, You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Then in verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. I believe that God made Asaph write these certain things and had him recall Jacob, Joseph, and Moses. Because not only in order to have great faith do you need to be in a relationship with God and know who God is, but also to have great faith, it's important that we are encouraged by other people just like you and me and see that they can do it too. They can have great faith. And so when he's recalling Jacob and Joseph and Moses, it's almost as if, I believe, Asaph is saying, man, if they can do it, if they can have this great faith in God, so can I. And if you think I'm crazy and you think I'm off base, there's this book of the Bible called Hebrews. And Hebrews 11, this is the third section of Scripture that I'm trying to uh, wrap into this sermon. We're doing pretty good. Hebrews 11 is this roll call of faith, Right? It's this whole chapter that's recalling throughout the Old Testament these people and these individuals just like you and me who have exhibited this faith in God that was great and that God has been amazed by. And guess who is in verse 21, 22, 24, and 25? Let me read to you. By faith, in verse 21, Hebrews 11, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Then in verse 24, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. See, the faith example of other people is meant to encourage our faith to be great. We're not meant to do life alone. We were created for relationship with God and relationship with other people. And when you allow other people's faith to encourage your faith, you are in a sense saying, okay God, there's someone who's been following you longer than me, and I'm acknowledging that I need to get to know them and see what they are doing in their relationship with you so I can have great faith too. I believe Asaph did this. And then Hebrews 12, if you flip over, Hebrews 12, 1 it is building off of Hebrews 11, these group of people that had this great faith. And Hebrews 12:1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, 
and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You and I are intended to let the example of others' faith encourage our faith to be great and to be the faith that God has called us to have. Last weekend we weren't here because we went down to Atlanta, Rachel and I, uh, for her grandmother's funeral. And we were there, and I was you know, just blown away by the love that her family shows to one another, and even more by the faith that they had in God. It just it really encouraged my faith. And I believe it's intended to. Her grandmother that passed away was one that had great faith in God. She was a servant to the church that she was a part of. She was a servant of other people simply because she had a relationship with God and believed that that was what she was called to. And even more than her grandmother, I, I've, just, I've gotten to know her granddad even more, and his faith has absolutely blown my mind. Here's a man who had been married to his wife when she passed away for 55 years. And about two or three years ago, she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And what did Rachel's grandfather do? Was he in the Luke 7 crowd? Was he a Luke 7 individual that said, you know what, God, I'm not going to allow this situation that is bad to determine who you are? Or was he one in Mark 6 that said, you know, God, why me? Why, why am I one that has to deal with this Alzheimer's? Why do I have to be one to take care of my wife? Why do I have to do this? Why, do, why, why, why? And picking at Jesus and having problems with what Jesus might have done. No, her granddad prayed three things when he found out that she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And this was coming from a conversation that Rachel's dad had with her grandfather. And when he found out that she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, he prayed three things. Number one, that he would have patience to help her through the times of struggle. That he would have strength to love her with all that he had. And number three, that he would have wisdom to know how to handle the disease. See, that's a completely different kind of faith than what is so often seen throughout the world. And God calls us to have great faith, and God calls us to see the example of others. In my experience, Rachel's grandfather. In your experience, maybe your grandfather, maybe your son or daughter. So who do you know, and who have you tagged as someone that has greater faith than you, that you need to let encourage your faith. Because there is someone that God has for you that He wishes you would just look to them to help them encourage your faith. So we're supposed to look to Scripture to encourage our faith, look to one another. And then in verse 2, this is kind of cool. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It always all comes back to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Always has been. Always will be. Not only is a relationship with God through Christ the foundation and the basis of your faith, but looking to Jesus' example, looking to Jesus' faithful example to endure the cross, to die for you and me, should motivate us and encourage us to face whatever there is before us. Because I promise you, there is nothing that's going to be as big in your life that you need to face with great faith for God than what Jesus faced when He endured the cross for your sake. So, I close with this. I ask you again. Are you one that has a weak faith or a great faith? God calls us to have a great faith. 
And you can't have great faith by trying harder to have it. Great faith is the byproduct. By three things, remember. Great faith is unleashed when we don't allow our situations to determine our reality. Great faith is grown by being with and knowing God. And number three, great faith is encouraged by this faith example of others, namely Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep being with Jesus. Keep knowing Jesus. And you will have the great faith that God desires us all to have. Let's pray.